studies for Nehemiah, ironically, the last few days, I, I ran across something a few days ago that got my attention, and I thought, that's really a nice thought. And it was a reminder that back in John 10, when he talks about Jesus as the good shepherd, it was the reminder that Jesus knows each one of us by name. I remember when uh, Robbie came here, I would tease her. Her middle name was Gail, Robbie Gail. And I said, I don't like that. I'm going to call you Robbie Joe. So I changed her name. But Jesus knows her name. He calls her by name. And he called Marlon Aker by name. Many others that we can think of and that we know about, that we love. In the middle of all of that, as we stop and consider and look at things, I want to remind you this morning that John chapter 11 is not just a story about resurrection. It's not just about resurrection power. It's about a couple of things that we really wrestle with. One of them is the idea of death. We struggle with that. And the other one is God's divine delay. Where was he? Why didn't he show up when we thought he should? Why didn't he prevent something? He's in a, in a section of his ministry in his life, as John records it, that there are a couple of things that are really impressive here. John chapter 11 has almost a note of divine defiance about it. Because it's going to set in concrete the hostility that the Jewish authorities have for him. And they're going to determine now, we've got to get rid of this man. We've got to. But more importantly, it's going to set in concrete something that the disciples need to hold on to. Their faith and their belief. To believe that Jesus really is deity. Jesus really does have authority. And Jesus does have power to deal with anything that comes our way. I've been saying as I study the gospel of Mark lately that it's really a disciple's gospel. The New Testament's a disciple's book. The Bible's a disciple's. The only one who really gets anything out of what's said here for the fullest measure are those who believe in God and who follow him. His disciples. And so here in the midst of all these other things that are written, there's a chapter to challenge us, to give testimony, to call us to a stronger and deeper belief. As the chapter opens up in verses 1 through 5, there's a concern that these sisters have. Lazarus is sick. And... Mary wants to get word to the Lord to let him know that. She's the one who had wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was sick. And they sent to him in verse 3 and said, Lord, behold, take a look, notice, take notice of this. He whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister 
and Lazarus. John's gospel is the last gospel that's written, and it's written to emphasize belief, faith. Whatever else you get out of the writings, as though to say, take away faith, belief, don't lose hold of that. Don't let anything distract you from that. And you know that's good, for, that's good news for us today, too. Whatever else has happened, hold on to your faith. Make it stronger and deeper. Go ahead and ask the questions. Go ahead and struggle with the emotions. But hold on to your faith. Apparently the sisters had suspected that the death was impending. And so they appealed to this this close friend. Be reminded that friendship with Jesus doesn't protect us from human sorrows. We're not any different than anybody else. In verse 5, the way it describes his love for them, you almost get the idea that no family on earth was, was more loved by Jesus. But they still would get sick and die. Friends of Jesus have to deal with problems of this world just as much as his enemies. Lord, the one whom you love, They didn't put any restrictions or conditions on anything. They just did what's best to do when you pray. Just put your need out there and don't give God any instructions. Let him work. And work he will. The one who loves you, the one you love. We're not loved according to or in proportion to our love for him. He works in our lives And allows the things he does in our lives because he loves us. And that's often very hard to understand. Does Jesus care? And the answer is resounding throughout that course. Yes, he does. He knows, he sees, and he does something about it. He doesn't leave us alone and in the cold. And yet we'll find out as we read on, he stayed two more days. You'd think maybe he'd hurry to his friend's side. You'd think maybe because of the love he has for those two sisters, he would be there to comfort them. But the key question in all this is, why does God delay in responding to our needs? Now, maybe the situation differs in your life, and I think we have seen some of that, and you'll see more of it as your days go by. But the answer still comes back the same. You take your situation to him, he'll make the decision, and he'll deal with it when it's right to deal with it and the way that it needs to be dealt with. He doesn't delay to make his miracle more dramatic. He takes his actions to prove something. He's not there to uh, try to persuade anybody to just, he's there to make an impact. God's going to be glorified, and their faith is going to be affected by it. In John 2, he doesn't turn water into wine just because he's asked. 
In John 7, he doesn't go to the feast just because his brother urges him. He does everything on God's time schedule, and that's hard for us to really comprehend. But that's the way he works. Look at verse 7 and 8, the confusion the disciples have. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again? That's not a good place to go. It means certain death. You know, I, th- I think maybe when they heard about Lazarus and his condition, they said, yeah, I hope he doesn't go there. It won't end well for us either. And when he said we're not going, and when they saw that, maybe it was kind of a breath of relief. That's Okay. But when you get down to verse 11 and you notice what he says about the condition of Lazarus, he's asleep. But I go that I may awaken him out of the sleep. How did Jesus know all of that? Nobody has said anything to him, but he's divine. But why would you risk it all on a sick friend? Because there's something else more important that needs to be done. Only Jesus makes death asleep. And those who follow along and understand that as disciples come to believe that. And they they live that way and they pass that on. That's why Paul picks up that tone in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That's why Paul will bring it up again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in dealing with the resurrection. You've got this dying barricade that has to be dealt with, this life and the next one. It's not death, it's just sleep. As far as Jesus is concerned, because of the power he has over that, you won't see the New Testament view as being anything but asleep. And that's what he taught them, and that's what we need to believe and be taught as well. In Christ, death is like sleep. It's not permanent, not in any way at all. Death is something you come out of, like sleep. Death, like sleep, is not a conscious state. In the twinkling of an eye, Paul will say to the Corinthians, we're going to be changed. It's going to happen so fast you'll never even know that death occurred. On that side. On this side, we know it's occurred. The word cemetery is a word that was coined by Christians. In the original language, the word means a place of sleep. And you only say that When you believe that, and that's what they believe. In verse 12, he'll say, he will recover. And the idea has been translated, he'll get better. Literally means he will be saved. That'll be the fullness, the completeness, the fruition of the whole salvation process. And they don't fully realize what he's saying in all of that, but it's right. If you're a friend of Jesus and you go to sleep in him... He'll save you from all of that. You see, we're the ones who are hurting, not the loved ones who have passed. They're not hurting. And I want you to notice the third thing in verses 9 and 10, the confidence Jesus has. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the light, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
And he goes on to talk and to speak and share these. He's confident about his return. You know, I'm going to go away, but I'm coming back again. I'm going to make preparations for you. I'm going to to take care of all of this so you don't have to struggle with this. Just as a day's period of time is fixed, so in God's economy, each person has his or her day the way it goes. Disciples don't need to fear about going with Jesus. He's not going to die before his time. God's got him on a, a certain fixed time. And I believe the same thing is true for you and me. One writer said his time is close. It's 1145, but it's not yet the 12th hour. God prescribed the bounds of his life. And I think that's true. It doesn't matter that Israel's going to reject him. It doesn't matter that his disciples are going to struggle with some things. He's going to fulfill what God wants more than anything else. And here's what I believe. I believe we'll not live one day less than God needs us. And that's hard to appreciate. But I believe it's true. And the real question of the hour is, are you ready to go to sleep right now? Are you ready to go to sleep in Jesus? Jesus knows he's walking in the daylight and he wants his disciples walking there as well. He hasn't even seen the tomb yet, and he knows what's going to happen. So why wait four days? He did it because, number one, he's going to glorify God. The most important character in the Gospel of John is Jesus. It's not the woman at the well. It's not even Lazarus. It's not anybody else. It's Jesus, because Jesus is going to glorify God. All these other individuals are kind of object lessons through whom he will work and teach. But the secondary factor in that is blessing the disciples. They'll know what to believe, who to believe, and why they believe that. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Thomas said in verse 16, who was called Didymus. He said to his fellow disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. They don't understand. They're not getting it. If he's going to die, we're going to die. But Jesus is saying, do you trust me? Will you go with me on this? They're seeing it as being a last straw. We're really going to have this end. Jesus is saying, watch me work. Here's what I want you to take away from it this morning. Don't deny God's purpose. Struggle with it. Wonder about it. Pray about it. Don't deny it. Faith is something that's progressive. Faith is something that that grows in all of us and needs to do it that way. So whether it's in life or sickness or even in death, understand he's not through with you and me yet. He's still working on us. As that little kid's song says, to make us what we ought to be. Let him work. Secondly, don't deny his glory. Don't deny God his glory. He does things through us and with us the way he does it so that he will be glorified. Yes, he wants to comfort us. But more importantly, will we glorify him? This is for God's glory. 
A lot of times we think about that as well. To glorify him, we're going to praise him. That's not what he's talking about here. God's glory here is his activity. Psalm 29 and verse 10 says, Jehovah sat as king at the flood. Hey, the Lord reigns forever. He's glorified in letting him be the ruler. Let him reign on his terms. And we, when we present a need to God and we ask him to do something, believe that he will provide an answer. I may not understand it. I may wonder about it, but he will provide. And thirdly, don't deny God his love. You can't just tell people right now why God has done what he's done. Why has he allowed what he's allowed? You can't just provide an answer, and it's wrong to try to give a glib answer. Why does he allow those things? He's God. And I'm going to let him be God, and I'm going to love him because he's God. And we all know of other instances, not just this morning and not just prior to so many others that we've known and loved. And it's still true. It's still true. He loves us, and we love him. Listen to this. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. That's pretty good, isn't it? Thomas takes it in and says, well, let's go with him that we may die with him. Thomas, do you see that you're also going to live with him? Can you see that by the eye of faith? We're not ready to die with Jesus when we're still living for ourselves. That's why baptism represents such an important transition point. It's not about dying to self and sin. It's about rising up to have life. And dying from this world and to this world and being buried, it's not about tragedy. It's about transition to go from this realm into the next one. Who you're living for, who you're living with. Friends that sleep in Jesus, they're going to be saved. Two of my friends have gone to sleep. You and me, let's make sure we're friends of Jesus. I want to see my other friends, and I want to enjoy having all the questions answered. Can we help you in any way at all? Can we pray with you? Can we comfort you in some way? You come while we stand, while we sing.